0: Here it is!
1: From deep inside your audio device of choice. Is it the IDs yet? I can't see from here. I'm at the home of the homeless, ladies and gentlemen, Southern California, specifically Santa Monica. And what I can see is... News of the Godly. You can see it from, uh, from Russia. According to Pope Francis's right-hand man, a survivor of clerical sexual abuse who resigned earlier this month from a papal anti-abuse commission, quit because she wanted to shake the tree in the Vatican. Survivor Marie Collins had said some members of the church's governing body, the Roman Curia, had hindered and blocked the work being done by the commission, that's the commission, to fight clerical child sexual abuse. She specifically named among the members of the church's governing body that she was talking about they were blocking action, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the old CDF. There have been, according to Italian sources, specific episodes which led Collins to take the steps she did. In an interview, Collins said she believes the members of the commission are working as hard as they can, but, quote, if the outside world thought everything was going well, then I think it's a good thing that I've resigned and shown, shown that it is not. It might move things forward more quickly than if I had stayed. A cardinal speaking of the Boston Globe defied her departure as a blow to the commission, but one which increases our resolve to work harder for reform in the church. The Roman Catholic Archdiocese of New York is seeking permission for a $100 million mortgage on some of its Manhattan property to finance its compensation program for people sexually abused by priests. Cardinal Timothy Dolan announced the creation of a reconciliation program for abuse survivors last year. The Archdiocese said it would compensate people who had accused priests of abusing them as children, including those prevented by statutes of limitation from filing suits. At the time, Catholic leaders said they would seek loans to fund the payouts, which are being reviewed by independent arbitrators. wonder who pays for them. But now the Archdiocese seeks approval for a one-year mortgage from J.P. Morgan Chase, on land it owns behind St. Patrick's Cathedral, according to the New York Times. It's underneath the luxury New York Palace Hotel. I stayed there one night. And a semicircle of landmark 19th century mansions known as the Villard houses on Madison Avenue between 50th and 53rd streets. Hey, that's good land. It was acquired by the Archdiocese in the decades after World War II. And the Archdiocese entered into a 99-year lease with a developer that allowed him to build the hotel. The petition was necessary under a New York law regarding church property. A one-year mortgage. I don't even understand that. And I don't understand life insurance. Don't ask me. The major Catholic archbishops of Australia have accepted a catastrophic failure of leadership, left children unprotected, from sexual abuse. The archbishops of Perth, Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, and Adelaide all agreed with a council at the um, that commission, that royal commission they've got investigating all this, that the leadership's response to the allegations was inadequate. I think, according to Sydney's archbishop, Anthony Fisher, I think you might use, want to use stronger words than failure in some cases. It was a kind of criminal negligence to deal with some of the problems that were staring us in the face, he said. Numerous archbishops suggested an ignorance about the nature of child sexual abuse and its effects could be partly to blame for the church's inadequate response. It was a crime, archbishop, said the council to the commission. Yes, that's right, the bishop replied. News of the Godly, a copyrighted feature of Hello, Welcome to the Show.
2: É o fim do caminho É o resto de toco É um pouco sozinho É um caco de vidro É a vida, é o sol É a noite, é a morte é um laço, é o anzol É peroba do cão, é o um da madeira É uma tita pereira É madeira de vento É um mistério profundo É o queira ou não queira É o vento ventando É a, a chuva chovendo, é conversa, a ribeira das águas de março. É o fim da canseira, é o pé, é o chão, é a mastradeira, passarinho na mão, pedra de atiradeira. É uma ave no céu, é uma ave no chão, é um regato, é uma fonte, é um pedaço de pão. É o fim do poço, é o fim do caminho. No rosto de É o tijolo chegando É a lenha, é o dia É o fim da picada É e a garrafa de cana um Estilhaço na estrada É o projeto da casa É o corpo na cama É o carro enguiçado É a lama, é a lama É um passo, é uma ponte É um saco, é uma rama É o um resto de mato Na luz da manhã São as, São as águas de março Fechando o verão e A promessa de vida No teu coração, coração. São as águas de março, fechando o verão. É a promessa de vida no teu coração. É pau, é pedra, é o fim do caminho, é um resto de topo é um porco, sozinho. É um passe, é uma ponte, é um sapo, é É um belo horizonte, é uma febre terçã. Sã. São as águas de março, fechando o um verão. É a promessa de vida no teu coração. Pau, pedra. No verão, a promessa de vida no teu coração: Badaba, Paz de Vaziza, Zazaziza, Mas a Naninha, A
1: This is Le show. I'm your host Harry Shearer, and now ladies and gentlemen, news of Nice Corp. Nice people doing nice things. Speaking of emails, as we seem to be all the time these days, it's a thing. The British publishing arm of Rupert Murdoch's News Cor- nice Corp, sorry, deleted 20 million emails in 2010 and 2011. Way back then. Long before, well, no, that was when Hillary Clinton had her thing. As investigations into illegal phone hacking by journalists gathered pace, they eliminated those emails. This is according to new evidence in a lawsuit being filed to prevent Nice Corp from taking over Britain's Sky TV, according to Bloomberg. News group newspapers, can they use the word news more in that? name, is being sued by a group that includes television stars, wow, and a former professional soccer player. Lawyers for them cited new evidence from a statement provided by one of the company's IT managers. He testified millions of messages were erased because of problems with the IT system. Oh, Rupert couldn't afford it. Our case said the lawyer for the Folks who are suing is it was deliberately ordered by those at the top of the tree as way of getting rid of incriminating emails. They were continuing their mass destruction of emails even after the police had dis- had started their investigation. Unquote. The court case says Bloomberg News may become a hurdle for Fox and its 14.3 billion dollar bid for Sky. They got that kind of money. British members of Parliament have asked the government to consider past wrongdoing in Nice Corp. Murdoch family-controlled companies when deciding whether to approve the merger. James Murdoch, who was executive chairman of the publishing unit when all the phone hacking happened, now runs 21st Century Fox, which wants to take over Sky. A trial in the phone hacking lawsuit is scheduled for as soon as October. There are 24 claimants remaining in that case. An email, according to the lawyer for the victims in the uh, phone hacking case, uh, an email sent by Nice. Corp. executive Rebecca Brooks, remember her, in 2010, that uh, that proposed eliminating emails that could be unhelpful in the context of future litigation, unquote. That's the words of Rebecca Brooks. The next day, a Word document about deletion was created with the title JRM. According to the lawyer, those initials refer to James Murdoch. Nice, nice people doing nice things. News of Nice Corp. It's it's nice. And now, because it can't all be nice, news from outside the bubble. If you um, don't know any Jewish people and want to know a new definition for the word chutzpah, here it is from the Sydney Morning Herald in Australia. Half a century after U.S. B-52 bombers dropped more than 500,000 tons of explosives on Cambodia... The United States wants Cambodia to repay a $500 million war debt. The damage has prompted expressions of indignation and outrage from Cambodia's capital. Over 200 nights uh, in just 1973, more than a quarter million tons of explosives fell in secret carpet bombing sweeps, half as many as were dropped on Japan during the entire Second World War. The pilots flew so high up, they were incapable of discriminating between a Cambodian village and their targets which were North Vietnamese supply lines. The bombs were of such massive tonnage, they broke they blew out eardrums of anyone standing within a one kilometer radius. According to one genocide researcher, up to 500,000 Cambodians were killed, many of them children. What do we tell the children? (laughs) Goodbye. The bombings drove hundreds of thousands of ordinary Cambodians into the arms of the Khmer Rouge, that ultra- Marxist organization seized power Two years later and over the next Four years presided over the deaths of more than almost Two million people through starvation Disease and execution. The debt started Out as a $274 million Loan mostly for food supplies To the then U.S.-backed lawn Nol Government Which was a lawn knoll off a, off a short pier But has almost doubled over the years As Cambodia refused to enter into a repayment Program. The magic of Compound interest, don't you know? The U.S.'s ambassador to Phnom Penh, the capital, says Cambodia's failure to pay back the debt puts it in league with Sudan, Somalia, and Zimbabwe. To me, Cambodia does not look like a country that should be in arrears, buildings coming up all over the city, foreign investment coming in, government revenue is rapidly rising. I'm saying it's not in Cambodia's interest to look to the past, but to look at how to solve this, because it's important to Cambodia's future. The ambassador says the United States has never seriously considered canceling the debt. The strongman Prime Minister Hun Sen says the United States created problems in my country and is demanding money from me. They drop bombs on our heads and then ask us to repay. We should raise our voices to talk about the issue of the country that has invaded other countries and has killed children. A former Reuters bureau chief in Ho Chi Minh City, James Pringle, says he's not a supporter of Hun Sen, but he said on this matter... He is absolutely correct. Cambodia, he says, does not owe a brass farthing to the U.S. for help in destroying its people, its wild animals, its rice fields, and its forest cover. According to uh, the strongman Hun Sen, craters still dock. The Cambodian countryside villagers are still unearthing bombs, forcing mass evacuations until they can be reactivated. It's like the war never ended. There are a lot of grenades and bombs left, he says. And who did it? It's America's bombs and grenades. A diplomat posted in Phnom Penh between 71 and 74 told the Sydney Morning Herald that the food the U.S. supplied to Cambodia came from excess food stocks in the first place. That's what we were lending them the money to buy. I remember well the shipments of corn were made. He said Cambodians don't eat that, so it was fed to the animals. He pointed out the United States refused to normalize relations with Vietnam until it agreed to take on the U.S. debt of the former South Vietnamese regime. We're tough, but fair. And the world faces the largest humanitarian crisis since the end of the Second World War, with more than 20 million people in four countries facing starvation and famine, according to a senior United Nations official. Without collective and coordinated global efforts, people will simply starve to death, and many more will suffer and die from disease, according to Stephen O'Brien, the U.N. Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs. He urged an immediate injection of funds for Yemen, South Sudan, Somalia, and Northeast Nigeria, plus unimpeded access for humanitarian aid. We need $4.4 billion by July. I got that on me. No, Rupert has it on him. I was confused there for a moment. Unless there was a major infusion of money, he said children would be stunted by severe malnutrition, would not be able to go to school, gain in economic development, would be reversed, and livelihoods, futures, and hope lost. Hey, aren't we US you and me providing the uh material? Yes, it's a technical word for the Saudis to be bombing uh, their enemies, the Iranian-backed rebels in self-same Yemen. UN and food organizations define famine as when more than 30% of children under age 5 suffer from acute malnutrition and mortality rates are two or more deaths per 10,000 people every day. O'Brien says the largest humanitarian crisis is in Yemen, where two-thirds of the population, 18.8 million, need aid, and more than 7 million people are hungry and don't know where the next meal would come from. That's 3 million people more than in January. But we're sending bombs, because we're tough but fair. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. finally tonight, our long-running feature, Made in America. We've profiled almost everything still produced in this country, except one, and tonight, that's our focus. It's seen by millions, carefully sculpted and seemingly built to last a lifetime. The David Muir hairstyle, Made in America. You might not expect a television anchor's hairstyle to have its roots here, deep in the Gulf of Mexico. But you'd be forgetting about the role modified petroleum products play in modern grooming aids. But down in Lafourche, Paris, Louisiana, oil rig technician Boyd Tebow doesn't forget. There's a refinery upriver that that produces distillate. It goes into almost every major styling gel in the market. Yeah, I feel proud that uh, what comes out of this rig here ends up on some very famous heads. Right here in the USA. But distillate alone doesn't make for a telegenically powerful hairstyle. That's why we came here to Benchley, Indiana, where some very special scissors are made. As you can see on the flag that flies right beneath old glory this gleaming new factory. These are scissors of Benchley. And Janet Frelick is the foreperson on the assembly line.
3: First thing, we never call it a scissors. It's a pair of scissors. Each blade is a scissor. We get a very high tensile strength grade of steel, which comes from right across the border in our sister city, Benchley, Kentucky. (laughs) We like to think we're their big sister.
1: But the rubber really hits the road here in this makeup studio just off West 67th Street in Manhattan. That's where ABC's chief trickologist, Arlen Spencer, wields the scissors and applies the distillate. Believe me, it wasn't easy to uh, source a black dye with all U.S.-sourced ingredients, but we we did happen to find one on the Hopi reservation. It's used uh, primarily for ceremonial purposes, and along with the gel, it generates the kind of shine that uh, the numbers people tell me is worth about a ratings point or two. And then uh, the dryer. Frankly, I don't know where it's made, but it works. And then voile, a just-before-prime-time-ready look for an anchor who's... Serious, but relatable. All those hands working to create a hairstyle enjoyed by millions each night. And best of all, it's... Made in America! America. Thanks for joining us on a Friday. I'll see you right back here on
3: a Monday. And then, on a Tuesday. More Americans get their news from David Muir than people in any other country.
1: Southern California, this is La Show. And now... Oh, it's news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr., It's been conventional wisdom that President Trump hurts the chances for Los Angeles to be chosen to host the 2024 Olympics. One Olympics historian called his election a catastrophe for L.A.'s chances. But the head of the group trying to win the bid for L.A. said this week, Trump has been actively involved in helping to beat out the only city left in the competition, Paris. L.A. 2024 CEO Gene Sykes Oh, it's a psych job, said Trump's been lobbying leaders of the International Olympic Committee who picked the winner, inviting them to the White House, making sure his travel ban didn't hold up athletes coming to the U.S. for qualifying events. The Donald Trump effect is for us a double-edged sword, Sykes said. He contrasted that with Obama, who Sykes had lost interest in the Olympics after he tried to secure the games for the former president's hometown of Chicago. He flew to Copenhagen to make an impassioned plea to committee members for Chicago to host the 2016 Olympics. Leaving a busy time in Washington with fights over health care in Afghanistan, Chicago lost in the first round. Obama was criticized for making the trip. Sykes said he stayed out of the competition after that. He never went to an Olympic Games, never met with the IOC leadership, never talked to them by phone, showed sort of a disregard, and that was deeply frustrating to the leaders of the IOC. Sykes also acknowledged some committee members are dismayed with Trump's rhetoric. Well, that's what we have in common with him. Temporary structures for the new national stadium set to serve as the main venue for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics are expected to cost more than double the initial estimates, according to a source with the organizers. But that's just now. It's not 2020 yet. The overlay expenses that will come in addition to the costs for the main permanent structure are likely to amount to about... Oh, $87 million. Anticipated spending in the bid was $33 million. The latest estimate includes cost to build a subtract site that is needed as a practice area. The source said it is not yet clear whether the subtract will be considered temporary. The uh, final amount will change significantly depending on whether the subtract area is seen as temporary or permanent. It's all about the perceptions because... It's the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Ladies and gentlemen, how smart is your house? Apparently not smart enough. No matter what. This is uh, from a piece by James Schaefer, a product engineer at Leverage. The Ring Doorbell. A Wi-Fi-enabled video doorbell is uh, subject of a little problem here. Last October, a botnet comprised of more than 100,000 Internet of Things devices driven by a virus called Mirai launched a uh, distributed denial-of-service attack. It disrupted service to several major websites including Amazon, PayPal, Twitter, Reddit, and GitHub. This attack brought the Mirai botnet into public light, and with it came very real questions about security in the Internet of Things. Mirai was able to grow so large so quickly by de- exploiting default passwords on common Internet of Things devices, primarily video cameras, but also, you know, your light bulbs, your toasters, your thermostats, your doorbells. Talk of Internet of Things security has intensified since then. But security problems persist. Very little has been done in the wake of the Mirai botnet. Just this week, says Schaefer, it was discovered that the Ring doorbell, a popular connected camera and security product, is sending data to China. China, they're killing it! According to Ring, if the Ring device loses connectivity unexpectedly at the end of a transmission, and that never happens, it sends the final video and audio packets to an unroutable address, essentially throwing them away. But that isn't what the device actually does. Instead, it routes packets to an IP address in China owned by a Chinese search engine, Baidu. Besides raising serious privacy concerns about what exactly is being sent in the end-of-call packets and who may be receiving them, this behavior creates a potential backdoor into the Ring device, even if it's your front door, by opening a hole in the Wi-Fi network the Ring is on so that data coming back from China can get through a router to the device. So, depending on the firmware of the Ring's camera, it could be open to command and control protocols taking it over, similar to what happened with the Mirai botnet. This kind of behavior probably isn't isolated to just Ring. Most well-known Internet of Things camera devices aren't actually manufactured by the company selling them. This is like so much more of modern life, so much else. No, you know, a Hilton Hotel is not really owned by... It's not really... In most cases, these devices are actually manufactured overseas by companies like Dahua, Acti, and HickVision. Well, here at HickVision... <laughs> this means that the firmware on the camera often isn't maintained by the manufacturer. So consumers may be willing to trust Ring, but by using the Ring doorbell... Because you got to see whose consumers are also unknowingly choosing to trust the manufacturer of the camera. Ring might not be able to do anything to address this vulnerability. In all likelihood, Ring doesn't write the firmware on the camera. In order for the Internet of Things to be secure, writes Schaefer, every stakeholder from the hardware manufacturer to the service creator has to take security seriously. (laughs) Yeah. It's so smart to have a smart house, ain't it? And now, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, the week just passed uh, began for <laughs> President Trump. I'm taking him as seriously as in that Internet of Things security uh, with his tweet storm last weekend, in which he accused President Obama, I guess personally, of uh, ordering phones at Trump Tower wiretapped that was uh, Trump's term of art there have been reports that uh, in in various media from Breitbart to the New York Times that there was a uh, FISA court application to do some kind of surveillance of some of the phones or some of the equipment domiciled in Trump Tower. The FISA court turned that down as not being specific enough and, and according to a couple of these reports, including one by former Member of Parliament Louise Mensch, uh the second application was approved by the FISA court, so something was being listened to on some lines at Trump Tower. It may have something to do with that Alpha Bank report that uh was all over CNN over the weekend about lookups coming from an Alpha Bank server, a Russian bank, to a server in Trump Tower. Never could understand that. Anyway, that's how his week started. There was a lot of cleanup to do when uh, what the Trump administration really wanted to do was roll out and get some momentum rolling on their uh, repeal and replace plan for the Affordable Care Act. But that wasn't taking the stage, really. Uh, the wiretap allegations were. What also happened this week, however, uh Trump is having uh, a number of dinners mentioned in the Olympics news that he's whining and dining. He's whining and dining Congress people to try to uh, convince them, especially conservative Republicans, not to revolt against the plan introduced this week by uh, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan. Uh, Something that uh, President Obama didn't do, just noting that uh, whining and dining of Congress people wasn't something he uh, made a practice of. Trump's doing a lot of it, at least now. It's the new Trump, uh, Trump 2.1.5.6. But he also had another pair of guests over who got much less attention in the news. His former rival for the Republican presidential nomination, Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz, and his wife, Heidi, you may remember, among the assorted nastinesses of the recent presidential campaign trump at one point candidate trump at one point tweeted a fetching photograph of his wife melania and a less than fetching photograph of Cruz's wife heidi as if to say <laughs> <laughs> but as i say very little reporting on what actually transpired in that dinner we do know that um according to a piece in men's journal of all places the uh trump white house has not yet succeeded in in um, finding its own executive chef for the white house so they've continued on the the uh, tenure of uh, a woman a filipino woman first woman and first uh, asian person to have that job as white house executive chef she's been there since the george w bush administration i know it's a it's a lot to absorb this may make it a little easier
3: this week, for the first time, the Tweet Storm encounters a high-pressure front and the businessman turned president finds himself playing a different game, a game called Defense. Sean, how do you think you did? Well, we buttoned up all the cabinet members. Comey did a speech, but stayed away from the wiretap stuff. I think we did well. You know what I think? I think we still have a big job. We, I think you still have a big job to do. It, it is a big government. I mean about the wiretap thing. Huh. You're right. It is a big government. Thanks. So I... somebody in it should be able to help us. Well, we kind of tossed it to the Congress in our statement. The statement that said we'd have no further statement. That's the one. I thought that closed the door on a lot of this. Your new task is to very gently open that door again. (laughs) To repeat that we won't have any more statements? That itself is a further statement. Sean, somewhere in this government is someone, a cabinet member, an assistant, somebody, a deputy, what's this, who can back me up with this wiretap thing. Your task is to find him or her. (laughs) Does uh, Meredith MacGyver have a government job? Not yet. What do you think? Sounds more like something Wright should be doing. You think Wright should be fired? I didn't say that. Sean, your team's counting on you. Me, I'm not so sure.
1: I know he meant that last part to sound threatening, but I know the man pretty well by now. It's just his way of giving me a
3: good-natured kick in the behind. It felt good. Christina. Yes, sir? Big dinner tonight. I know. I know. Ted and Heidi Cruz. You know, I really roasted them during the campaign. You want I should roast the chicken for them. I nah, they're too fancy. They're Texas people. Yeah. Maybe some barbecued uh, I don't know. It's something they barbecue? And I ain't got enough problems with my hands without all that grease. Listen, your task for the night is a very simple one. Burgers and fries. We do that four nights a week. I know, and you're getting very good at it. I don't want them focusing on the food anyway. Can you do it? What temperature? Well done. And uh, what did they want less cook? Here's the deal. If they want medium rare, they can get it on their own nickel. Ted, Heidi, cheers. May the, the Lord, Lord bless, bless this, this alcohol. Album. Look, guys... This is a tough task. Oh, we know. We prayed a lot about it. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you to do something I've asked of no one else on the team so far. You want us to forget all the nasty things you've said about us? In return, you're going to forget that Ted called you a pathological liar. I can say I'm going to forget it, but Ted wouldn't believe me, right? (laughs) Right? Look, Mr. President, uh, I can forgive you and Heidi can forgive you. But my dad can't forgive you. Why? He didn't pass away, did he? I'm always the last to be briefed. No, thank the good Lord he didn't. Mm. But you didn't invite him to this dinner. Ted, you're a good conservative. You know burgers don't grow on trees. Listen, it boils down to this. We've got important work to do in the Congress. You can help. And me? You can help him help me. Mm. Just think about it for a few minutes. Because there's no dessert. Uh, the lady's room is... Uh, the guy will show you. After the two of you get home and before the wine wears off? Yes. Tell her I think tonight she was an eight. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make this format so great again, you'll be tired of grace. Now, the world is his boardroom. Via Presidentis this week. Wiretap it, if you can.
0: You had class, you had everything to make a love last. You had grace, you had charm, you had me hanging on your arm. When I found out you were a fake, you ran up and bit me like a snake. And I wasn't ready. Your true color show you're a perpetual. You, you need a man to do your rolling like you. just no way to tell you so, baby, why you want to be so cold? Why you want to be so mean? You're going to let your true colors show. You're a perpetual blue machine. Tell me why you want to be so cold? True show you machine a machine
1: Ladies and gentlemen, um, on our News of the Atom feature, I have uh, tried, I've endeavored to bring you the drip, drip, drip of news from Fukushima. The uh, Guardian newspaper in London sent a reporter over to sort of give a uh, a big picture of what's been going on there. And I thought I'd share some of that with you, the, uh, starting with the failure of the robot. It was called a scorpion that failed into its exploration two hours into what was supposed to be a 10-hour mission. Talked about this last week or the week before. This is... Uh, was an unprecedented undertaking, one expert described as, quote, almost beyond comprehension. Cleaning up the plant, says this reporter, scene of the world's worst nuclear disaster, is expected to take 30 to 40 years at a cost. Japan's trade and industry ministry recently estimated at $189 billion. That includes compensating tens of thousands of evacuees. That's nearly double an estimate released three years ago. So they're no worse than the Olympics. Why don't they stage the Olympics at. Fu- oh. This. Developing robots capable of penetrating the most dangerous parts of the FUK reactors and spending enough time there to obtain the data that's needed is proving a near impossible challenge for TEPCO, reports The Guardian. The Sc- Scorpion robot, so called because of its camera mounted folding tail, died after stalling along a rail. Beneath the reactor pressure vessel, its path was blocked by lumps of fuel and other debris. It also may have been damaged by radiation. Before it was abandoned, its dosimeter indicated that radiation levels inside the vessel were 250 Sieverts an hour. In an earlier probe using a remote-controlled camera, radiation at about the same spot was as high as 650 Sieverts an hour. That's enough to kill a human within a minute. Better than polonium. The manager of the Fuch plant, Shunji Uchida, concedes that TEPCO acquired limited knowledge about the state of the melted fuel. So far, we've only managed to take a peek as the last experiment with the robot didn't go well, he says. But we're not thinking of another approach at this moment, unquote. The two other reactors where radiation level levels are even higher than in reactor two, exploration work has barely begun their plans to send a tiny waterproof robot into reactor number one in the next few weeks no date has been set for exploring the more seriously damaged reactor number three you just sit there we'll get to you the head of the decommissioning arm at fuke says he wants another probe sent in before before deciding how to remove the melted fuel tepco insists it will begin extracting that melted fuel in 2021 a decade after the disaster But a nuclear specialist at Greenpeace, based in Japan, describes the challenge confronting the utility as unprecedented and almost beyond comprehension, adding the decommissioning schedule was, quote, never realistic or credible, unquote. Aside from that, though, it was a good spreadsheet. Without a technical solution for dealing with Unit 1 or 3, Unit 2 was seen as less challenging, The current schedule for the removal of hundreds of tons of molten nuclear fuel, the location and condition of which they still have no real understanding of, was based on the timetable of the prime minister and the nuclear industry, not the reality on the ground, says the senior nuclear specialist at Greenpeace. Even Shunichi Tanaka, the chairman of Japan's Nuclear Regulation Authority, doesn't appear to share TEPCO's optimism. At the moment, we're still feeling around in the dark, he says. The situation, he adds, is not under control. The famous ice wall is still allowing 150 tons of groundwater to seep into the reactor basements every day, says a TEPCO spokesman. Five sections have been kept open deliberately to prevent water inside the reactor basements from rising and flowing out more rapidly. There are uh, row upon row of steel tanks containing... Uh, 900,000 tons of contaminated water. They'll soon reach a million. That'll be a milestone. Critics of the cleanup note that 2020 is the year, as we've noted earlier in this broadcast, that Tokyo is due to host the Olympics. That was after the then-Prime Minister assured the IOC that Fukushima was under control. A former nuclear engineer... At uh, Babcock, Babcock Hitachi accuses the former prime minister and other government officials of playing down the severity of the decommissioning challenge, in an attempt to win public support for the restart of nuclear reactors across the country. I'm I'm saying, everybody saves a lot of money if you stage the Olympics there. The, oh, sure, the athletes will get dosed, but you know, it's a movement. That's news of our friend, the atom, and now. The Apologies of the Week.
3: We're so sorry.
1: National Review columnist Andrew McCarthy has apologized for accusing the New York Times of changing a story's online headline for political reasons. He initially charged that the Times had changed the headline of a web story related to President Trump's connections to Russia after the fact due to a shifting political narrative. I owe the New York Times an apology and am extending it in this post. McCarthy wrote, "It corrects my column from earlier today, which I've asked National Review to withdraw. I accuse the Times of altering the headline of an important report pertinent to the so-called Pfizergate controversy in order to revise history in light of a shifting political narrative. I was wrong. The Times did not change the headline. Instead, the report has always had two different headlines, one in the print version and one on the website. I regret the error. I came upon it honestly." But in light of the fact I was essentially accusing the Times of slyly rewriting history, I should have given the paper the opportunity to show me I was wrong before I embarrassed myself by publishing something that was wrong. I am sorry. Unquote. McCarthy was a former assistant United States attorney for the Southern District of New York. So he'd have been out of a job anyway if he still had it. Louisiana State District Judge Trudy White who returned to the bench last month following an unexplained three-month hiatus, has apologized to her colleagues and the public for appearing in a video during her re-election campaign three years ago with a man in an orange prison jumpsuit who promoted her candidacy in a scene shot inside a courtroom. Says she's learned from this experience in the aftermath in a hand-delivered letter to her fellow judges. I will do everything in my power to make sure that such a situation never happens again. She steadily refused to say why she was gone from the bench, didn't re- respond to requests for comment. After the uh, New Orleans and Baton Rouge newspaper, the advocate obtained a copy of the letter which she sent to the judges. In her letter of apology says she understands, White does, how a reasonable person might interpret the prison rap character statements to mean that if re-elected I would treat defendants in criminal cases with leniency. She also understands, she says, how the video could cause members of the public to lose respect for the judiciary and to question its integrity and impartiality. I did not intend to bring shame on the judiciary, she wrote. I would not deliberately harm you or dishonor our court. To the extent that my conduct has put our court in a negative light, I am truly sorry. I think she's sorry. A Christian radio station apologized on social media this week after its digital display was apparently hacked with an anti-Trump message that included an obscenity. I wonder what it could be. Listeners of K-Love, which is 96.7 in New York, don't, don't go there now, reported seeing the message on the digital display shortly after 8 a.m. with someone calling News Channel representative for K-Love could not immediately be reached. A tweet from the station in response to a listener said, We're sorry f- to say our New York signal was hacked. Our team is w- working to fix this as soon as possible. We are definitely working to fix the display. So sorry about this. K-Love is a non-denominational, non-profit, listener-supported radio network with over 400 signals in 44 states. Its mission is com- creating compelling media that inspires and encourages a meaningful relationship with a deity. Earlier this year, several stations across the country were allegedly hacked to play an uncensored rap song directed at Trump that includes an obscenity in the title. I think they mean a profanity. Deadline, Newark, New Jersey, the former head of one of the nation's most powerful transportation agencies and a longtime mentor to Governor Chris Christie, was sentenced this week to four years probation and home confinement for pressuring United Airlines to reinstate a money-losing flight route to give him easier access to his weekend home. Many in the courtroom sat stunned as District Judge Jose Linares imposed a sentence that will allow David Sampson, former chairman of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, to serve his year of home confinement, likely at the South Carolina residence that was the object of the scheme that landed him in court. So it all worked out. 77-year-old Sampson pleaded guilty to bribery last year for the backroom deal, could have faced as much as two years behind bars under his plea agreement. He and Christie were close for years, Linares told the PAC courtroom the volume of letters he received from high-ranking public officials in support of Sampson helped sway him to impose the lighter sentence. Linares did call Sampson's crime a complete abuse of power and said the details befuddle the mind. He said Sampson is entitled to some credit for a lifetime of good work in public service. The damage to his reputation has a punitive aspect to it, which affects people like Mr. Sampson very severely, said Linares. Well, that's equal justice for all, isn't it? Assistant U.S. Attorney Vikas Khanna urged the judge to impose a harsher sentence. and said probation would send a loud and clear message that even brazen acts of corruption like this wouldn't really be punished at all. Samson, sorry, the reason it's is in the Apologies of the Week is because during brief remarks to the judge, Sampson said, I know I violated the law and violated my own standards of right and wrong. I deeply apologize first and foremost to this court, and I apologize to my family and friends, and I apologize to the public to whom I owed much better. And now I get to go to my vacation home after all. Samantha B. apologized Thursday for a segment on her TBS show. It's on TBS, right? That made fun of a cancer patient's haircut. The clip showed several men who the producer had said had Nazi hair, at the Conservative Political Action Committee meeting. One of the men in the piece was Kyle Coddington. He recently completed his first round of chemotherapy and radiation treatments for brain cancer. He tweeted at B, Please delete this episode. I look like a balding potato. Also, it's not a Nazi haircut. Richard Spencer's is. He's a major alt-right figure. But mine's from cancer. Show tweeted this apology. We deeply, deeply apologize for offending Kyle in our CPAC segment. We only learned of a condition today and have removed him from the piece. He's not heard from host Samantha Bee personally. He calls the tweeted apology from B kind of a half apology. It's just inconsiderate and very unprofessional to lump together anyone who has a certain hairstyle just by the way they look, he says. And Governor Paul LePage of Maine Apologize to a black father for racially charged remarks during a town hall in Vermont, Yarmouth, Vermont, this week. Garrett Stoll, uh, Stewart told the governor, Criticism of civil rights leader John Lewis and previous comments about black drug dealers coming to Maine were hurtful to his children. LePage said, I apologize to you and your children. If I offended your children or you, that's not what I intended. The governor faced criticism last year when he said out-of-state black and Hispanic drug dealers were coming to Maine and impregnating, quote, young white girls. During Wednesday night's meeting, the governor mentioned his adopted son, who was black, and said he, his adopted black son, is not a drug dealer. Glad he made that clear. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. going to conclude this week's edition of the show the program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over npr worldwide throughout europe the U.S.N. 440 cable system in japan i don't even know how that works i hope that isn't listening to you while you listen to me i hope it's not a smart cable system around the world through the facilities of the american forces network up and on the east coast of north america by the shortwave giant wbcq the planet 7.490 megahertz shortwave they're not listening to you on the Mighty 104 in Berlin. On the Mighty Soho Radio in London. Available for your delectation via the internet around the world. At two different locations, live or archived whenever you want it. At harryshare.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com. Available as a free podcast from Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn.com. And www.no.org. You getting the idea that it's available? And it would be just like if we could all wiretap Trump Tower or Mar a Lago. I'd settle for that if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. A typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago in Exile, and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead. And to Jenny Lawson of WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. Thanks to everybody who remembered to turn their clocks ahead so they didn't miss the program. For this program. Playlist of the music heard here on and your chance to get cars I talk t-shirts for whatever holiday might be coming up, or just for no occasion at all. That's all at HarryShear.com. Home of no occasion at all. And me? I'm on Twitter. Like like your president. No, not really like him. But I'm still on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. <laughs> president, I said it. show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.